Like what my pastor used to say, he knows everything about me, and he still loves me. I praise the Lord for a Savior like that. Amen? And uh, let's take our Bibles, and let's go to lots of places tonight, all right? Uh, We're going to start in John 14. In John 14, we're just going to kind of work our way. What we're doing right now, the next few weeks, is picking up bits and pieces. We've gone through the book of Revelation, uh, pretty much verse by verse, line by line, all 21 chapters, uh, 22 chapters, excuse me. And uh, now uh, we're starting to pick up uh, different passages. We've been in the book of Ezekiel and the book of Zechariah. And uh, we are trying to get together all of the pieces. Now, my hope and my prayer is that before our anniversary meeting starts, we've got five Thursday nights left. And uh, I am hoping to finish our study on Revelation before the anniversary. Uh, We'll see. But uh, we're going to try in the next five weeks. We're just picking up the pieces here of little things that... Uh, We're not specifically covered in the book of Revelation so that we can put the pieces together at the end. And let me explain it this way. In, In our day and time, we have what is rightfully called systems of end time or that big unpronounceable word, eschatologic, I can't even say it, uh, thought. Because unless you're going to be super weird, i.e. Harold Camping uh, and some of these other strange bows out there, uh, who just go through and pick and choose whatever they want out of whatever they choose to pick it out of, um, if you're going to be consistent at all in your handling of the Word of God, you're going to fall into one of these systems. And we believe in the pre-millennial, pre-tribulational return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are reasons why we believe that. And by the way, don't be shocked, there are reasons why people believe other things as well. Uh, There are reasons why people believe in the Pope. Uh, There are reasons why people believe in all kinds of things, like Obamacare. I I just haven't figured that one out yet. What has the government ever done right, except possibly the United States military? And study that history. There's an awful lot of problems there, especially when our soldiers get home. You, You pray for our soldiers. Amen? But uh, I get a little nervous here. People believe in all kinds of things. But there are reasons why we believe what we believe about the Bible and the end times. And the, uh, what we're trying to do is consistently interpret Scripture as literally as possible. The golden rule, we've been over this many times if it makes common sense, if it makes sense, don't mess with it. 
If it, I think it, the, what is it quoted? If it makes common sense, seek no other sense, I think is what's in all the textbooks. And uh, the simple truth of the matter is, let's look at this and we're going to see some differences. Uh, and I'm not trying to be tedious or smart aleck in any way, but things that are different. I mean, no, I'm going to say next are not the same. Uh, if they're different, then maybe it's talking about different events. And we've got to allow God to do things his way. The Jewish people, when Jesus appeared in Bethlehem's manger through the miracle of the virgin birth, how many people understood who he was? Well, the shepherds did. Uh, Mary and Joseph knew who he was, but did they understand? No, because they were totally confused when he was stayed behind in Jerusalem at 12, year, 12 years old and said, I must be about my father's business. And Joseph was trying to figure out what business he had in Jerusalem that Jesus was trying to take care of. In fact, it says he was subject to them when they got back to Nazareth, which means he was punished. Uh, at least that's our best understanding of that passage. The wise men understood two years later when they showed up after his birth. But the disciples didn't understand until we get to Acts chapter 2 now, did they? And... The idea that Jesus would come and that he would leave and there would be a time period there between his first advent, his first coming, and his second coming as one of the primary reasons why Jewish people have rejected the New Testament historically. Because they understood, or at least they thought they did, that when Jesus came, he would set up his kingdom. That's why repeatedly... The disciples asked Jesus, when's the kingdom coming? When, do we get, can we sit on your right hand and on your left? And of course, that was John's, James and John's mother asking that question. And, and uh, when is the sign of thy coming? When is this going to be? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel yet? Well, Jesus is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. That's what we've been studying. That's when the lion is going to lie down with the lamb and all of those wonderful things that the prophecies are going to be fulfilled haven't happened yet. And so we got to be careful. Uh, Joseph, be still, okay? But Jesus made some specific promises to his church, his disciples, and in essence, his church and and uh, we've been over this passage relatively recently, so we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But verses 2 and 3 of John chapter 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus says, I'm going away, 
but I'm coming back. I'm going to receive you unto myself. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Let's just turn there. Jesus was giving the disciples their last instructions, and all of a sudden, they were looking at his chest, then his waist, then his knees, then his feet. Then they're looking up in the air as Jesus is rising up in the air. In verse 11, the angels say, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Now, if you had seen that, what would you be doing? Mouth hanging open, just looking. I mean, you'd be doing the same. And then the angels say, Why are you stand here looking into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, you'll notice so far, did Jesus say when he was coming back to receive them unto himself? Did the angels here give any time period? No, the focus is not on time. The focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is the revelation of. The entire book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. It's, it's not about anything else. And when you see something that somebody writes or somebody talks about something else, Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention it. Sung Young Moon passed away Sunday. And uh, his children are running the business end of things. Everything will be fine. Uh, so, uh, anybody heartbroken about that, you can leave now. But uh, I'll tell you, there are a few people more ridiculous than the followers of Sung Young Moon. I don't know why we did that, but I just wanted to make sure and get that in there before we go too far because his main testimony was that Jesus appeared to him three times saying, can you straighten out the mess I made out of things? Now, if that's not blasphemy, I don't know what is. But that was his claim. He knows better now. He, he knows better now. The focus is on Christ. You see, let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let's go on to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Matthew 24, Mark chapter 13, the same uh, uh, 
uh, event is mirrored here. This is where Jesus said, No man can know the day nor the hour. Jesus claimed that not even he knew when he was coming back. That that secret belongs to God and God alone. And I cannot tell you how many preachers uh, have written books. When my wife and I were uh, getting married, 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 88. Followed by the sequel, 89 reasons why Jesus will return in 89. And, of course, we had Mr. Camping pipe in with 1994, and the world was uh, the world has ended, actually, as of last May. It's all over. Uh, we're just a figment of our own imaginations as we continue here, according to Mr. Camping. Uh, the simple truth is, nobody knows. But let me throw something out for you. If Jesus were coming back in the middle or the end of the tribulation period. How many of you would start counting days? Because the book of Daniel tells us how many days the tribulation period is going to last. Amen? And so you make that statement an utterly ridiculous remark by the Lord by trying to put His return for His church at some predisposed point in time after the tribulation starts, because the tribulation is timed, my friend. There's lots of things that are connected there. You see, the Christian is told to be ready because we do not know when our Lord is coming. Israel is given a different message. They said... The sun's going to be darkened. The moon's going to be turned to blood. There's going to be signs in the heaven, signs in the earth. All of these things are going to happen before the day of the Lord. Before all of these things come to pass. Our focus is on watching for Jesus. Let's look at a couple more verses here. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6. And if you want to know why we sing the books of the Bible, it's so that you can know 1 and 2 Thessalonians come after the book of Colossians and before the books of Timothy. Verse 6 says, Therefore, of chapter 5, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. Behold, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. 
Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Here is the focus of the believer. Jesus could come tonight. He could come tomorrow morning. He could come a thousand years from now. Jesus will come when he does. There are no signs that need to be fulfilled for Jesus to return. There are many signs that need to be fulfilled before Jesus sets up his kingdom at the end of the tribulation period. There are many things that have to be fulfilled and you can track them. In fact, that's what the book of Revelation is all about, is tracking the progress of God's judgments until the final battle of Armageddon. We believe that Jesus could come at any time. In fact, his command to his church was to watch. Now, somebody wrote a silly old song. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever heard it. This old house is... uh, Oh, what is it? This old house is uh, falling apart, basically. The windows need fixing and the door... He says, but I'm not going to fix anything in my house because Jesus is coming back. Now, could I explain something to you? God doesn't want a bad testimony because you're not taking care of things you ought to take care of. Amen. Uh, Don't blame your laziness on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I knew of a fellow. I never knew him. He was one of the most intellectual Christian writers of our age. He was so intellectual that he and his father's uh, followers donned white robes and sold all of their possessions and went wandering through the Alps waiting for Jesus to come back. Uh, That's not what the Bible talks about when it says watch. In fact, let's look uh, at a couple of passages here. Luke chapter 12. If you would, Luke chapter 12. And again, I'm not going to tell you that I understand every part of this story. There's some things in here that uh, uh, just are very uh, difficult to understand and put, but we'll just put them out where they are because it's just what the Bible says. This is what we call the Sermon on the Plain Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount on a mountain. He preached many of the same things, a much shorter version here in the book of Luke in a plain. And so they call the one the Sermon on the Mount, the other the Sermon on the Plain, just denoting where they were. And in closing, uh, let's just, uh, why don't we start with verse 34. It says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. And ye yourselves, like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, 
shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, and give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and the maidens, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. Now this is a long passage here, but... Jesus is saying, you, my servants, are supposed to be like men waiting for their Lord returning from the wedding. Now, we need to do a little culture here, uh, find out how they practiced. Remember the wedding? What would happen is the groom would leave his home. And he would begin a journey across town, usually uh, in late night. No one knew exactly when it was going to happen, but the word would be passed. And people would come down out of their house. This is the parable of the virgins that we covered last week. And he would go and he would pick up his bride and they would begin this feast. And the virgins were waiting for to enter into the wedding celebration. He said, you're like the servants who are waiting for their Lord to bring his bride back. He's coming home from the... He's picked his bride up and now the celebration is starting. Now, what would it be? Just think we got two new brides in here. You come into your new house... And, of course, Ashley found her apartment all just beautiful and clean and, and not, not any boxes anywhere. I'm sure Sonia had the same thing there. I mean, it was a mess. You see, that's not keeping with Jewish tradition. The man had to have everything prepared. She didn't paint the house after she moved in. Ashley's been working on that this week. I'm picking on her. That slob of a husband was supposed to take care of it before you came. I mean, that's the way it was supposed to be. 
Now, what would happen if he walks up to the doors of his house and it's locked? And he's out there knocking on the door and the servants, huh? Oh, oh, we forgot. It would be a social scandal. It would be more embarrassing than anything you could imagine. Because that was his character. That was everything about him. If he was a well-known and a wealthy Lord, half of the town was behind him waiting to come into the house and enjoy the celebration with him of his marriage. His servants were supposed to be ready. Now, did that mean that they were all standing there at the door looking through the window? I don't see him yet. No. They were fixing food. They were making sure the last minute cleaning, somebody spilled gravy on the carpet on the way in. And I mean, they, you, you could just imagine the hustle and bustle that was going on. Trying to make everything perfect. So when the door opened, a real celebration unhindered would happen glorifying the state of the groom and his preparedness and his devotion to his bride. How many of you love that picture? I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. You guys are my servants. How prepared you are is going to show everybody what a good groom I am. Now, there's some confusion here, and this is part that I can't understand. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he said, you're like servants, but also we understand that they were the pastors of the first church, right? They're part of the bride too. So how does that all work? Well, you have to remember, Peter said, are you speaking this parable to everybody or just to us? And Jesus is trying to explain what you and I are supposed to be doing. Not necessarily where our place is going to be. And he said, if you're those servants who have prepared yourself, you are doing the Lord's business. And you know what? In a big house, some of the servants were preparing the food. Other servants were taking care of the table. Other servants were taking care of the drinks. Other servants were responsible for making sure there was water to wash the feet and the hands as the people came in. And by the way, how many of you have ever been in, in a place where you had to wash your hands in running water? I meant water that you ran out to get, uh, not the kind you turn on the faucet for. I mean, that water gets dirty fast. You wouldn't want to be the 10th guy in line to wash your hands in the same water. You see, Brother Franz get her in green on me here. You know what? The servants had to make sure there was ample supplies to take care of everyone so no one felt slighted. Amen? God's got duties for each one of us. We work together. You can't be doing somebody else's job. You'd better be doing yours. Or 
you're going to end up being judged an unwatchful servant. You're not paying attention to what you're supposed to be paying attention to. You ever meet somebody, they're paying attention to everybody else's business but their own? We just love being around people like that, don't you? Don't be a busybody for Jesus. Amen? You say, but my part is so insignificant. If it was, why did Jesus assign it to you? Amen? You say, but all I do is show up. Fulfill your assignment. Because nobody else can do what God has given you to do. That's what the story's about. And it talks about those that say in their hearts, my Lord delays his coming. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to take advantage of the other servants. I'm going to take care of me a little bit. Hey, you better watch out. You know what it says? He's going to appoint them their portion with whom? The unbelievers. Now, can you lose your salvation? Hello? You cannot lose your salvation. So what does that mean about a servant? They've got the right name, but they don't have the right heart. The only place you can get the right heart is from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But then comes another difficult passage. It says, there were some there that knew their Lord's will and they prepared not. What does it say? They got beaten with many stripes. Now, I'm not going to pretend to explain that. I know about the judgment seat of Christ. We can read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where it talks about some saved as so by fire. Uh, This passage would seem to imply there may be some punishment involved here. Doesn't it? Where is that going to happen? And it says, They that knew not... And did the same things, but out of ignorance rather than out of omission or commission. They didn't do it on purpose. It said they're going to be beaten with few stripes. And so Jesus says, listen, to whom much is committed, much is going to be required. You know what that means? If someone else is slacking off, let them. You better take care of what's on your plate. Because God is going to require from you. Now, what is this focus here? Do we have a time focus on this thing? No, we have no idea. I mean, when the groom left the house, he might stop and spend time with his friends on the way over. And they might stop on the way back and, and, and different places. You had no idea. I mean, this was a society that was not governed by time like you and I are today. It was for the pure 
pleasure and enjoyment not only of the bride and groom, but the entire community rejoiced with them. And if that took all night, well, then it took all night. If it took a couple of hours, it took a couple of hours. Nobody cared about the time. But when he came walking down the walk with his bride, that door better be flung open, ready, because that was the testimony of the groom's devotion to his bride. And Jesus says, listen to me. I want a testimony of your watchfulness for me, just like this. And he says something interesting here, and we don't have time to chase this rabbit tonight, but I just want to uh, choke it real quick. Uh, he says that the servants whom he finds watching, he's going to make them sit down, and he's going to serve them. Now, that is not tradition. When the Lord came in the house, he was served by the servants. And this is your connection for the bride and the servants right here. So you can understand that Jesus says, listen, if you're watching, if you're ready, let me tell you something. You are going to be put in the seat of honor. Now, I've heard some strange preaching about the bride of Christ. The Christians that weren't watching or Christians that weren't holy were made the servants at the table and all of this kind of thing. That's not in the Bible. What's in the Bible is that Jesus is going to serve his servants. That's going to be amazing. That's going to be incredible. Every boring thing you've ever done for Jesus Christ will no longer be boring at that moment, let me tell you. Every little thing that you ever did in service for Christ will no longer be little as Jesus passes by. Amen? He says, we are to be ready. It's because there's going to be those servants that don't care about their Lord. Now, they're going to call themselves servants, but they're not. Now, I'm not going to run around trying to judge who's saved and unsaved. That's not my job. My job is to be busy with my portion so that when he requires from me what he's given me, he gets a full return. Amen? This is the focus. And so we need to understand, and you can read Matthew chapter 24. It's basically the same story, the same context. The watchful are blessed, the unwatchful. I invented a new word according to the dictionary there. They are judged. In fact, they are separated from the saved for all eternity. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is going into heaven. We've got to do his will. This is what it is all about. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, I thank the Lord that I have not had to preach very many funerals over the 
20 years I've been the pastor here. Uh, in fact, I think I've preached more funerals for my family than I have for the church. Uh, and, but when we have a funeral, this is my favorite text. First Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 18. It says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Who are we supposed to comfort? Go back to 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. When you're dealing with death, it is the coming of the Lord that is supposed to give us comfort. Because it is then we will be reunited with those loved ones in Christ. Amen? And we go through the passage here, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We understand that those that die are not gone. We're just saying, until we meet again. Until he comes. Somebody said, why did the dead get get to go first? Somebody said, they got six foot farther to go. Well, that's not necessarily true of everybody. Uh, But the simple truth is, this is God's order. He is going to raise the dead in Christ. We which are alive and remain. And by the way, we includes me normally. Now, doesn't it? Sometimes we is me, but not here. Paul is saying, listen, we which are alive and remain, I'm planning on being alive when Jesus comes back. Somebody said, we don't, we don't find the premillennial rapture anywhere in the Bible. I, I don't know what you do with this passage. I really don't. Uh, Paul was expecting Jesus to return. In his lifetime. And you know what? If that was good enough for Paul, it ought to be good enough for you. Amen? Nothing attached. No seven years of tribulation before it started, or 23 if you believe Harold Camping. But the simple truth of the matter is, nothing between Paul's life and Jesus' return. He expected it any moment. This is where we ought to be. Some people are going to die while we're waiting. Guess what? We have comfort. Because it's not going to be forever. It's only going to be until Jesus comes back. Then we'll be together again. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. It is told, we are told here that the Lord's return is a reason for not quitting, for just continuing to serve the Lord. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain 
in the Lord. Go back. What's the therefore talking about? Well, it's talking about the entire chapter. It's talking about the resurrection. But we start in verse 51. It says, Behold, I show unto a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory through the finished work of Christ. We are waiting for that mystery, because we don't know when it's going to happen. That's the mystery. How do we solve the mystery? Watch. That's how you solve the mystery. Be about your Lord's business. So if he comes in the middle of the night, you're ready. Uh, The marshals used to sing a song, I'll leave without saying goodbye. You know what? You won't have a chance to say goodbye. It says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Somebody tried to say, well, the last trump, there are seven trumps in, in, the, in the book of Revelation. Therefore, he must be coming in the middle of the tribulation period. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Just a minute. That contradicts other passages of Scripture. Because if he came in the middle, we could start putting the timer on it. But... The last trump is the last call for the church. It's the end of the church operating on this earth. We must be ready to leave. You won't have time to say, Oh Lord, I forgot to ask forgiveness for all these sins. Keep your account short. So that when he calls, we're ready to go. That's what it means to be steadfast and unmovable. To have our life invested in the work of the Lord. Because what we do is not in vain in the Lord. Let's turn to First Thessalonians. Oh boy, that's not. I'm just getting wound up. But uh, we are at our end time here. We do not know when Jesus is coming back. Jesus said, not even he knows. He is waiting for the command from the Father. This is the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We get this doctrine from reading the Bible. And if we apply this doctrine to the scope of the end time events, then Jesus must fulfill this return 
before the tribulation begins. Otherwise, what do we do with the any time return of our Lord and the command to watch? He says, you're going to come in an hour when you think not. How many remember? Y2K. Does anybody remember that? I started in July. Jesus is not coming back New Year's Eve 2000. It's just not happening. I'll promise you, if he comes back on any day, it's not going to be that one. Because in an hour when you think not. You know what? Things may turn around and actually start moving in what we would consider the right direction. I believe Antichrist is going to be a conservative. He is going to bring financial prosperity to the world. That's going to be one of the reasons they accept him. Now, everything's going to fall apart real quick and really bad. But... He is going to come on the world scene as the best thing that has ever happened since sliced bread. And I still haven't figured out why that saying is there. Bread is just as good unsliced as it is sliced. I mean, but I'm sorry. Don't use cliches in your preaching, Brother Franz and Peter. Learn from your pastor's mistakes. But anyway, on that note... We understand that Jesus said we've got to watch. This was the command to the church. That command doesn't carry the weight that it does if we take away the doctrine of the any time return of our Lord. Jesus said there's nothing between now and my return to tell you when it's going to be. You just be faithful. Through the generations, God's people have been faithful. Many of them died in their service for the Lord. God has not called on many of us to do that. But would you live for Him? Would you be about His business Would you be content with the duty he has laid upon your plate and be faithful? Because we don't know when he's coming back. You know, it would be just great for the Lord to come back November 5th. Before Election Day. So many people be disappointed. But in an hour, you think not. We'd better be ready. All God's people say. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us to simply understand these passages, put them into the context in which you have given us them. And Lord, that we would look and prepare for your coming that we would be ready to swing open wide the doors, that we wouldn't have to have unfinished business left behind.
that we'd be ready to go the moment you call. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just give you time.